Well, what a Tuesday on what is now week, I should say day six of week 15 of the NFL season. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. Welcome into the Critical Eye podcast. Isaac Petcash, former NFL CFL standout Joe Von Johnson, host of the PA Sports Network, Joe Lidneski. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Oh, what a night was Monday night. Guys, let's start with this because we got a lot to get to, but I want to begin with this simple, simple fact of life. You know, franchises that are winning franchises, they overcome. They overcome adversity. They overcome injuries. They overcome the worst of things. And if there was any other team, any successful franchise that stepped into the situation the Cleveland Browns and were last night, if that was the New England Patriots, if that was Sean Payton and the New Orleans Saints, even sometimes Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Do you think they really would have used COVID as an excuse? All those players out, Bill Belichick complaining after the game about how deficit prone they were. Do you think that Sean Payton would have said, oh, well, Drew Brees retired and we're missing a lot of offensive starters. So we're not worried. You know, we're not worried about our loss here because our odds were stacked against us. Successful franchises find ways to win tight games. They find ways to win over adversity. And let's call it for what it is, gentlemen. The Cleveland Browns are not a successful franchise, and they haven't gotten to that point yet. And so when I look at last night's loss against the Raiders, albeit Cleveland with a strong march in the second half, an eight-minute drive to give the lead, it's almost as if the result was never in doubt. And even though Cleveland fans for quite some time, I think, had a belief that they could win this game, they could be the division leaders by night's end, there was that semblance of scaredness in Browns fans knowing that any shred of adversity this season has been their downfall. And last night proved it. And now the Browns are sitting in 12th place in the AFC playoff standings and their percent chance to make it stands at around 17%. Guys, I'll, I'll start with, Start with both of you. You can chime in here. Was there any doubt in your mind last night that the Browns would lose that game because there wasn't in mine? No, that did uh, that did sort of feel like the mo, didn't it? And you know, I just I don't know if it's just the the years, decades of losing, but I don't I don't understand why the the, the Browns fan base is so accepting of effort. Uh, I'm so proud of this team. You know, they fought, lob, well, it's your job, dude. Um, I don't, this, you're, you're, there's no moral victories in the National Football League. And a fan base high-fiving one another, you know, like some come from behind sixth grade basketball, almost one approach. I don't understand it. I really don't. I mean, are we giving out ribbons or... Or what for participation? Because at the end of the day, the objective of the game is to win. And you they've paid all of these guys millions of dollars to go out and perform and and make plays when need be. And right now the Browns are struggling to, to make plays down the stretch. Down and you have your defense with an opportunity to win the game, to close the game out, and they can't get it done. And you spent draft pick after draft pick hundreds of million dollars on defensive ends. And, and, you know, sometimes you don't have guys accessible to you, but that's why you build up your practice roster and, and backups so that those guys that are 
out there on the field are fully capable of getting the job done, and they just let one go. They let one slip away last night. You know, here's the thing that I thought when I watched this game last night, because I, I saw a team that to me represented the team that we saw teams that we've seen in the 2010 decade, the teams that would collapse under pressure, the teams that couldn't score points despite having chances. You know, when you look at the stats, they're not bad. Nick Mullins was 20 of 30, buck 47 and a touchdown. You could say he did his job. Nick Chubb, 23 carries, 91 yards. He had a score. But it's just, it seems a little anemic to me, a little bland. I mean, this was the team that was supposed to have all of the talent, top three roster in the NFL all sorts of ability to make plays with guys at the beginning of the year, like Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham and Nick Chubb. And I, you know, spare me the misery of having eight starters on the COVID list, spare me the misery of having to deal with injuries because every team's at like that at this point, when I look at the team's performance, I'm looking at a couple of big stats. Cleveland on third down yesterday was six of 14. It was abysmal. When you look at time of possession, Cleveland held the ball for almost eight minutes less than the Raiders. And here's the other thing that's inc- that's crazy. Two turnovers last night, two turnovers by the Raiders, and Cleveland couldn't figure out a way to do anything with them. Guys, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say I told you so, but but there were so many Browns fans after the podcast on Thursday who were going after me because – uh, why, why would you say that it's it's not right to postpone the game? Well, Cleveland, here's where you stand. You still lost the game. You're seven and seven. Your quarterbacks didn't get a chance to play because they still weren't activated from the COVID list. The only players you got back were Tack McKinley, John Johnson, and Wyatt Teller. One of them likely has a season-ending ACL injury. The other one played a fairly terrible game on defense. And you also lost to Davian Clowney. So... I mean, guys, is, is this the end of the season for Cleveland? Because it sure sounds like it. I mean, it's not. By rule, they still have three more games to play. But, yeah, I, th- I think it is. I mean, they're, you mentioned they're 12th, and the it would be almost impossible for them to win out and everybody they're chasing lose out, which I think is what we're, we're almost at in that regard. I just – I, I was disappointed. I mean, I think I think JOK is going to be a superstar. He played okay last night, but you know, did Miles Garrett even play? Um, that was a, and I'm not I'm not taking a shot. It just it's literally top of mind awareness. But think about how many games in in a game very similar to that, Jovan that, that TJ Watt literally won for the Steelers. Uh, that you know, I thought that was a, a really missed opportunity. For, for Garrett to sort of cement the legacy. I think he's a terrific player. I do, but, you know, big-time players make time, you know, make big-time plays when their team desperately needs it. And I just sort of felt like, you know, maybe that could have been a – maybe that could have been a moment in, in the climb of Miles Garrett. But I guess we're going to have to wait uh, another day. Absolutely. You know, when when you get that that type of moment, especially when you have so many – other key contributors out and you have that type of moment to go out there and cement your legacy and let everybody know how dominant you are. I mean, that those are the moments you dream of, you know, as a player in the NFL, and especially when you're getting paid uh, those types of numbers and, and you want to go out there and, and just do whatever you can for the team. And 
and also, you know, show how dominant you are. And, and he kind of let one slip away. But um, as far as the Browns being out of it, I mean, I, I guess they have to be wishing on a star if they think they're going to make the playoffs at this point, you know, with three games left in the regular season and, and uh, everything aligning to them not making it. You know, right now, the the only two teams in, in the division, the Bengals and, and possibly the Ravens, if they if they start trending in the right direction and stop going for a two-point conversions, maybe they might win a game or two here and there. Um, but those are the only two teams in the in the division that I think are are really trending in the right direction and be able to make a run for the postseason. But I think everybody else is, is struggling. Pittsburgh might get a shot, but it's going to have to take some things going their way as well. We want to talk about teams that uh, have shot themselves in the foot. Baltimore should have already wrapped up the division. But uh, again, John Harbaugh's aggressiveness sometimes doesn't pay off. Guys, I want to ask you this question about the Browns. And I don't want to belabor the point, but I think it's important to ask. You know, this team clearly isn't used to having the success that they've been having the last two years. We all know they've underperformed this year at 7-7. Seven and seven, But, you, you know, at what point does the team start accepting mediocre 500 seasons i mean i i know we're still in the in the the situation of well this team is a lot better than they were two or three years ago and i understand that but when you have the level of talent the level of expectation that was on this team this year what's acceptable i mean is is missing the playoffs but a nine and eight record acceptable i I mean at what point guys do you start to say maybe we need to make some changes because the team we have constructed isn't going to cut it no, I think you're 100% right. Uh, you know, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expect a different result. Um, and you look again, we've talked about this at nauseum, how different the team is from this year to last year. And they're really not. I mean, it's not. And again, I'm not making comparisons. I'm just thinking about, you know, franchises that have separated themselves. And we already touched on <clears> TJ <throat> Watt. Well, you look at the Chiefs. The Chiefs replaced five starters on the offensive line. Five. That's all of them. And, yeah, they struggled a little bit. But then they changed their DNA a little bit, and they became a defensive juggernaut, right? And now here they are back to, you know, back to where we started, thinking they're going to be the best team coming out of the AFC. Um, you know, I think that's the – and we talk about this all the time with the Bills, the stubbornness. And I don't know. I, I don't. I don't watch all twenty-two game film. I, I don't. I don't break down uh, the Browns. But you got to ask yourself when when everything's the same, but everything's different. You know who's to blame? You know has you know? I question Kevin Stefanski. I mean, you know he was the he was the boy wonder. Well, the, the recipe. The recipe's not changed. I mean, it's the same guys. I mean, who who have they lost? What is what is different? What is not improved? I should say. Yeah, well, if anything about these Browns, guys, I mean, they redid their defense in the offseason. JOK, John Johnson, other guys coming in too. Yeah, it's it's tough to watch, to be honest. I've I've been a part of teams that have kind of went through this phase of you know, my year in Winnipeg in 2010, we went four, four and 14. And with the same roster the following year, we went 14 and four. And I was the defensive player of the year and we went to the championship. And then the year after that, the general manager got rid of about five or six of our key defensive guys. And then we went from 
being in the great cup to being average at best the following year. So I've been through phases like this. And right now the Browns, you know, with, with the roster that they have constructed, they're not good enough to win a Super Bowl. So I think it's time for them to start making changes, you know, start getting rid of some of these big contracts that they have and, and going to find younger talent guys that'll be around for three, four or five years. You know, if you go and you draft correctly, you could get some some really good players that's going to be with you for three, four or five years instead of, you know, front loading all these contracts and, you know, drafting all these guys in the first and second round. You can you can find some quality talent in the third and the fourth, you know, guys that you'll have for a while. It almost seems to me, guys, and Jovan, you make a good point that when Cleveland realized they had maybe a window to be good, right, two years ago, they nearly get to the postseason, but they don't. But their, you know, their record itself spoke that they had a chance. It almost seemed like they wanted the world to know that they were going to have a chance to be good. So you overpay for top receivers with Odell Beckham. You potentially overpay a little bit on the defensive side of the football. You reform your offensive line. But I mean, we, we look at right now in the NFL, the teams that are the best, the two number one seeds right now in uh, well are close to the number one seeds. I should say Kansas City's the number one in the AFC. But you look at teams like New England and Green Bay. These are teams that are stacked with gigantic talent. Sure, Green Bay has Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones is a solid running back too. when Jair Alexander is healthy. Maybe he's the number one quarterback in the league, but it's not a bunch of big name guys, you know, New England, Mac Jones isn't a household name yet. You can't tell me that Kendrick Bourne is a stud number one wide receiver. It's built on defense and team identity. So uh, Jovan, I got a question for you here because, you know, you obviously, like you said, you've been on those teams before those roller coaster squads where the roster stays the same. I want to though ask about Kevin Stefanski. If Cleveland indeed falls apart, doesn't make the postseason, maybe has a losing record. Do you think there starts to be conversation in Cleveland about his job status? Um, I think at the present time, I think they they give him another year to try to figure it out, just because of of how years have been, um, you know. And plus, in the NFL, when you fire a coach. Um, At this point, um, I don't think they get rid of him, but I definitely think they keep a close eye on him uh, going into next year. And uh, if if things remain the same, then they'll, they'll probably have a quick trigger and let him go uh, earlier in the year. So um, I, I say don't jump the gun just yet. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not the general manager, so I, I don't know what decision or which way to go. You know, it's amazing for Cleveland how quickly things rise and how quickly things could fall, Joe. I mean, this team is on the verge of going from potentially having something special to, to me being back in the doldrums of, of where they were three years ago. And I don't think this is just an overreaction to this game. No, I, I think you're right, because if you look at it and and the, the biggest thing that we've talked about all year is, you know, obviously the future of, of Baker Mayfield. Right. And, and now you got to start asking some hard questions like um, we're 500, you know, is this the direction that we want to go? You know, is, is Jarvis Landry uh, part of the, part of the future or is he part of the past? Um, obviously, you know, you know, you, you're keeping Miles Garrett, you're keeping JOK, 
you're keeping anonymous people's Jones. Uh, does Hunt and Chubb fit in the mix? I mean, what you know are are you good enough at at right tackle? You know, what's what's the the, the immediate future of Conklin? Um, you know, Jadavion Clowney got paid but didn't really produce. You know, are, are we good enough on the interior? We've got all this, you know, we've got got all this equity tied up in the back end of the defense. Is is that there? I, th- I just think that you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's desperate in, in, in Brown's desperate. We've seen Brown's desperate countless times, but why it's desperate in my opinion is that, you know, these are franchise altering moves here. Um, You know, this is, this is Peyton Manning versus Ryan Leaf decision-making in the front office. And what I mean, you know, I'm just, you're, these decisions are, you know, either you're going to reap the rewards or pay the price for for the next decade. I mean, these are some really, really tough personnel decisions because you can't keep the band together. It doesn't make any sense and it doesn't make any financial sense either. But you need to start asking some of those tough questions as, you know, who's part of the problem and who's part of the solution. And obviously they've got Baker for another year, but that doesn't mean that they don't change the course. Um, that doesn't mean that they can't, you know, trade one of those corners that, you know, maybe it's not worked out and you know, obviously you're not ready to give up, but you know, what would greedy Williams net you? Hey, greedy, we like you, but I don't, I don't think you, I don't think you're a fit here. And then maybe you can go get, you know, a, a Lindbaum or, or somebody like that. that's going to be a cornerstone. I just, I really think that, that, you know, blow up. No, uh, big time remodel. Yeah. Every, every, everything's in play. And this sort of feels like, it sort of feels like some of the the tough questions were asked about the Penguins, uh, you know, in between the in between the cup runs, and that's what makes a good general manager, who stays, who goes, who's big picture, who's not. All good points, and uh, again, I reiterate this as I said at the beginning of the show: if Bill Belichick, Sean Payton, Mike Tomlin, Sean McDermott, guys like that, they lose a game like they did last night. The first thing that coming out of their mouth in the post-game press conference is not we fought hard. It's we didn't do enough. And I think that's the mentality you're seeing right now with Cleveland where they're Well, accepting. you know what, though, Isaac? Like, I, they should be mad because the game was there to be won. It didn't matter who they were with. They should have won the game. I mean, Las that's, Vegas' that's offense the point. was terrible. That's the point. The excuses are irrelevant. The game was still there to be won, and then they couldn't get off the field even after arguably the worst throw of David Carr's career. It's it is also amazing, too. You talk about, I mean, talk about the things you can't take advantage of turnovers. You can't move the ball on third down against a Raiders defense that was playing about the the most safe defensive coverage that I've ever seen. Yeah, you're right. It was there for the taking. They couldn't do it. So spare me the excuses. And now this team needs to essentially win out, which is going to be incredibly difficult considering, oh, by the way, your next opponent is Green Bay at Lambeau on Christmas Day. And now, because all you Browns fans complained and complained and complained about getting it pushed back, now you get five days to prepare instead of seven days to prepare. All right, so the Cleveland Browns are in shambles. We think, who knows? So, But another team in the AFC North that is a little more perky this morning, but still, who knows, is the Pittsburgh Steelers. They beat the Tennessee Titans 19-13 at home. That was an ugly game, too, but they found a way to win. Guys, I, I, I hate to be optimistic about this team because every time that they win, they let me down the next week. But, you know, I, I saw the defense wake up a little bit in that second half. It, it almost seems to me like 
in the past five weeks, the Steelers have had two different game plans for the first half and the second half. The first half is let's just take things off. You know, let's uh, let's let's just take a breather. Let's let everyone run over us. Dante Foreman can pick up 70 of his 108 yards in the first half. Let's let all that happen. Then in the second half, we'll wake up. All I'm going to say with Pittsburgh is this. You can maybe do that against Tennessee. You can maybe do that and almost come back against Minnesota. But if you think you're going to take the first half off against Kansas City and win, good luck. You're going to have a tough time winning if you play the entire game. So what do you guys make of Sunday's win against Tennessee? Four turnovers, the offense still struggling. Is there any reason for some slight optimism in Pittsburgh right now, knowing what happened in Cleveland, knowing the Ravens lost, and knowing Cincinnati's lead in the AFC North is tenuous? I mean, obviously there is, uh, you know, you've got, you've got life. It's professionals. It's not, it's not necessarily, I don't think the talent gap from the best team and the worst team is, is all that different. I just think it's, you know, in, in certain spots that gets magnified, but the, the thing that, you know, that I ask myself when it comes to the Steelers guys is when you watch them play and when you start, you know, rewatching the highlights and you're, and you're looking at the box scores, you almost feel, you know, if they're going to beat Kansas City, you know, they're going to need a, a pick six and a block punt for a touchdown. I mean, that's how they beat the Bills. Like that offense is just so void of explosiveness. And, you know, outside of, you know, Deontay Johnson, who's, you know, got a, got a chance to be a one, but all ones need a two. And I don't have any idea who the two is right now. You know, Chase Claypool just drips with talent, but, you know, seems to be round peg square hole. Um, you know, obviously that line and, and Kendrick Green, it, I boy, what a what a bust he may turn out to be at center. He's got a lot of improving to do. You just look at it and you think, is this a championship caliber team? No. Is it a championship caliber caliber defense? Maybe. Uh, you know, Joe Hayden certainly uh, you know brought back to life Minka Fitzpatrick, T.J. Watt. You know, the, the big dogs come to play; they win games. That's what happened on on, on Sunday. But that recipe is going to be exactly who. Um, I mean, are they a playoff team? By rule, they very well could be. Uh, are they an actual playoff team? I don't think so. Jovan, I want to I want to go to you on on this because it it seems like and maybe you've observed this too. It seems like the Steelers only have one way to win. And I said before the game on Friday, I said if if they're going to win the game, Pittsburgh Najee Harris has got to have twenty five carries. He didn't. He only had twelve. But I mean, it, it seems like the formula for Pittsburgh has to be run the football, defense creates turnovers. And, it, and, it, and even with the four turnovers, you were still holding your breath at the end of the game. If not for Joe Hayden's immaculate play, Pittsburgh probably loses and is sitting uh, at, at a losing season at this point. I mean, Jovan, does it seem to you like there's only one way Pittsburgh can win? Because I don't know if they can win through the air or you know, with explosive plays or special teams. Yeah, Joe hit the nail on the head. Jovan, you just muted yourself, uh, but we we would we would both love to hear you. Yeah, he was about <laughs> oh, to say I'm something sorry. nice about me. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, I'm, it, I'm sorry. It, it, maybe I, it was said, automatic then. <laughs> I said Joe hit the nail on the head when he said, that Deontay Johnson has emerged into the number one receiver, but we don't know who the number two is. You know, Clay, Chase Claypool, you know, hasn't really done much for you. Juju Smith's on the injured reserve, you know, and, and 
Washington, I mean, who is that guy? He doesn't even touch the ball at all. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, their chances of winning football games uh, is relying on Najee Harris to be successful in the run game. And, you know, when you only carry the ball 12 times, you know, that that's a recipe for disaster in Steeler football. That's not Steeler way. That's not how the Steelers are built. That's not how they won football games in the history of their six or five Super Bowls that they have. They, they ran the football effectively and they played good defense. And, um, you know, they, they haven't had any star standout receivers. I, I mean, Hines Ward, I mean, but he wasn't a, a guy who was going to take the top off the defense or, or anything of that nature. They just got it done. Nasty, made plays, caught, caught the ball, and got what they got. I think their, their recipe needs to, to live and die through handing the ball off to Najee Harris and allowing him to run. He's been one of the most consistent guys that they've had on that offensive side of the football on the whole season but you know when you when you refuse to give him the ball and I and I hate when offensive coordinators start giving uh run plays to receivers that just irks my nerves when when the, the receivers have four or five six carries and the running back only have 12 that's a problem and I think that that's one of the issues with the stellar offense right now they try to do too much instead of making it simple and letting the, the running back go out there and do his job. But defensively, I thought they, they played well. We talked about Joe Hayden before um, the game, and we talked about what his impact would be. Well, he showed up in a major way, and so did Mika Fitzpatrick and T.J. Watt and Cam Hayward. All the big dogs uh, had their, their big boy pants on, and they showed up and played outstanding on defense. You know, it's 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 crazy to me, Jovan, you make a really good point because the formula for Pittsburgh, the entire 21st century has been predicated on the defense and predicated on the running game. And when you look at this Pittsburgh team, it, the team feels very similar to that early 2000s, early 2010s. They're not the offensive juggernaut that they were three or four years ago with Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and company. But I think the difference with Pittsburgh that I've seen is that you don't trust that they're going to be consistent. I mean, I remember watching as a as a nine year old in 2008, watching that team go to the Super Bowl. And I remember even in the AFC championship, you you almost knew that the Steeler defense would make a play, right? Troy Polamalu would come up with an interception. Ike Taylor would make a defensive play. James Harrison, Lamar Woodley would come up with a strip sack. You don't know if you can trust that here. And I think that's where the problem comes into play for Pittsburgh. Listen, the pieces are there and they're winning games. I don't have a problem with them winning 19 to 13. I, I think you win games in the NFL, however you want to win games. It's that consistency factor to me. That's the problem. And that's why I talk about the first half, second half. Listen, if you want to beat Kansas City, if you want to beat the Green Bays of the world, you have to play better in the first two or three quarters. So so it comes to bring me to this as, as we can uh, quickly continue with the Steelers and we'll get to the Bills. Guys, I'll, Jovan, I'll start with you on this. You know, John Lydic and I yeah, last night went to the uh, NFL playoff machine on ESPN, which is it's wonderful. You can essentially pick different scenarios and it will crank out the outputs for you for the playoffs. And we determined the Steelers essentially are still in control of their own destiny. Even if they lose next week to Kansas city, if they win out, they have a chance to win the AFC North. So Jovan, do you believe in this team enough that they can win two out of their last three? I mean, is this a possibility seeing what you've seen the last few weeks? I mean, is it a possibility for sure? I mean, is it going to take a, a valiant effort from, you know, everybody involved? Absolutely. Offensively, they're going to have to play better. They're going to have to be able to put a 60 minutes plus game together 
um, in these last three games to be able to win two out of the last three. And it starts with Kansas City. I mean, they can't go into this game doubting themselves and thinking that they can't win. If they go in there and, and they they think like that, they're going to get the doors blew off of them. But, I mean, I think they can go in, they can control the game, keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. If you run the ball and you run the ball effectively, that's been one of Kansas City's kryptonites as teams that ran the football. But, you know, they've gotten a lot better defensively over the last four or five, six weeks that they've been on this win streak. So it's going to take a, a valiant effort for from everybody, coaches included. And, you know, gosh, Joe, I just have a feeling, this is just me, that Pittsburgh's going to go into the game against Kansas City and want to throw the football a lot, right? Matt Canada's going to say, we have to keep up with the Chiefs. Am I, am I wrong on that? I just have that weird feeling that Ben's going to throw the ball 50 times and the run game's going to get abandoned. I just want to let the record show that in 2009, I was in a bar. Um, Isaac was uh, getting ready for bed because it was that time. Oh, I, I, um, barely, I, I barely stayed awake. I needed, I, needed my, I needed my animal crackers to be able to stay awake. <laughs> more, <laughs> animal more crackers milk. and apple juice, that's what kept me up at night. <laughs> um, <clears throat> boy, I tell you what, you know, that's, that's the – I mean, literally, that's the, the $50 million question, isn't it? Because the proof is in the pudding in terms of the Steelers, not only this year, guys, but I think in his entire career, and we've forgotten about this, um, you know, and I, I also think that this is very important, that the NFL's leading passer has never won the Super Bowl. Um, it, this notion that you can be a one-trick pony and get it done is, is a total fallacy. Now, that being said, um, you know, when you go back to, you know, that Ben's rookie year, 15-1, and one, um, I believe against the New York Giants, the most pass attempts he had in, in the entire season was 24. Um, if you look at the numbers this year, when he throws, you know, 39 or fewer attempts, they're six and zero. Oh. But that is more of a a down and distance winning recipe um, than it is throwing the ball. I don't, I don't think that there is <clears throat> is good. Um, they can't, they cannot play that way. And Ben has been at the bottom of the hill, the top of the mountain, and everywhere in between. He's on the upside. He's on the down. He's been all around it. The question that I, I ask is, can he buy in? I mean, I, I think it was probably a lot more fun when you know he was in the MVP conversation throwing for 5,000 yards in the season not that long ago versus you know turning around and handing off. The other thing that I think that we don't take into com- consideration is that every year that the Steelers have had a great ground game, it's been more than one, you know, fast Willie Parker and, and Jerome Bettis. Um, uh, and that, that's the other thing, the element of this that I think that they're, they're greatly missing is they don't have that second back. And I know that Najee's a three down back, but they don't have a second back. And I think that's a big difference into, into how you can become one dimensional. Yeah. I, I like that point. And then when I was there uh, in 2006, we had Willie Parker and Najee Davenport. And, you know, Najee wasn't the type of guy that you can, you know, just, just take Willie out and put Najee in and, and have not no drop off at all. So, you know, you definitely have to have that that second dynamic running back in that year. We went eight and eight. So, you know, I see similar uh, characteristics of this team that they have right now. And so we'll see what happens on Sunday. I'll tell you what, a big matchup in that game. We're going to move on to the Bills, but a big matchup in that game. 
If Travis Kelsey is able to play, he's on the COVID list right now. He should be back for Sunday. He's going to have to go and be guarded by the guys of like Devin Bush, maybe Joe Schobert. So, uh, Devin, if there's a game for you to come out and perform, God, was this be the game? Because he showed some promise in Sunday's game, but he is going to need to really step up. Kansas City opens, by the way, at nine and a half point favorites on the Steelers. And I actually think that's a little too low. We'll see how that game plays out. All right. Closing out today with the Buffalo Bills. Oh, my gosh, guys. Did they ever need this win? 31-14 over the Carolina Panthers. But. I caution Buffalo fans who think this team is back on the right track because I don't think this score was indicative of how close the game was. Josh Allen threw a good game, 210 yards and three touchdowns. Jovan, we can finally maybe use the uh, words running game in Bills in the same sentence. Devin Singletary finally. Finally, goes, finally goes over 50 yards. He had 86 and a touchdown. The Bills with Josh Allen's carries at over 100 rushing yards. Uh, simply put, guys, is this team back on track? Are they built to go into Foxborough this week and beat New England? What do you make of this game on Sunday? I mean, I think I think they get, I think they got a chance. I mean, I think you know being able to run the ball effectively and handing the ball off to the running back twenty two times in the game allows their offense to stay on the field. It allows them to keep the other team's offense on the sideline. And then it opens up the passing game where he doesn't have to throw the ball a thousand times, but he can throw it effectively at a high level and complete passes and, you know, put the ball in the end zone when he needs to. I think that recipe that they had in this game, although the game might have been closer um, than it seemed in, on the scoreboard, but it allowed them to control the game. They were in control from start to finish. And that's the reason why they were able to pull away whenever they needed to. And they, they definitely utilized the run game and gave the ball to Devin Singletary and allowed him to be effective in the run game. I mean, their defense still, you know, you got to be better and more consistent. But I think they they definitely have the recipe if they if they continue to play that way. I'm not sure they're going to New England and use the same recipe, though, because they're going to be who they are. And that's a throwing football team. And I think they're going to try to come out and throw it again. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the thing is that, you know, all the. All, all the goodwill that was built up after a win over beating a, a five and nine football team, you know, we're high five and fist bumping one another. But at the end of the day, it literally doesn't matter until, you know, we find out what they can do in Foxborough. You know, that it, it's, it's all well and good, but the, the path will be much easier. I mean, this, you, you talk about the season being on the line. This is the season on the line. Uh, even though the Bills don't utilize, you know, being in Buffalo, people don't like to go to Buffalo, and we've seen it. I mean, it was, you know, we saw, what, two Thursday nights ago or two Monday nights ago, whatever it was, when they had the, the whiteout before kickoff. I mean, teams do not like to go to Buffalo. Um, uh, so I, I think that they've got, you know, along with Kansas City being, you know, super loud, uh, you know, Seattle, you know, the 12th man, in terms of home field advantages, Buffalo is right up there in the top five in the National Football League. Even though they don't utilize it, it it's a it's a big deal. Um, and I, I really think that if if they are going to get to the front of the line, they have to start with being on the front of the line in that division. I just do not see Buffalo being a wild card team that goes out and, and wins a bunch of games in the postseason. I think you got to make teams come to them. Um, but again, they're not going to be the number one overall seed. So at some point. 
they will have to go on the road. Uh, but I, I think that Jovan's correct in saying that, you know, the, the physicality of, of the Bills, you know, at the point of attack is going to be truly, truly tested. And again, I, I can't say this enough that the Carolina Panthers are not the measuring stick. No, uh, but again, when you get 22 carries, you might have to run the ball 22 times again. And it's interesting because the three teams that we talk about here, they all have a kryptonite, right? We talked about at the beginning of the show, Cleveland's kryptonite is you can't win the big games. You can't get over the hump. You can't get out of your own way. Pittsburgh's problem is you can't play within yourself. You're doing too many crazy things. And if you play within yourself, you'd probably win more games. Buffalo's kryptonite has been and always will be. Can you beat the New England Patriots? And I think we really saw a good example of how much this game means to Buffalo when we saw Sean McDermott as visibly excited, angry, emotional in that game against New England. So we'll see a full preview of that game on our next podcast. But boy, Buffalo, they have to win. I know that they're going to be a playoff team, but just for the sake of all intents and purposes of key battleground positioning. That is a must win. All right. We're going to end the show right there. Uh, Some teams rising up, some teams still unsure one team pretty much in the doldrums, at least for now, we are back a little bit later this week. Will it be Thursday? Will it be Friday? We'll see. We're hoping to get in studio to do our next show, but we'll let you know how that goes. But as always a preview of week 16 of the NFL season is coming your way later this week for Joe Lineski, Joe Von Johnson, I'm Isaac Petcash. Have a wonderful rest of your week. We will see you in just a bit. Enjoy your Tuesday.